He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. Eyes unclouded by hate. Does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? Hello, everyone. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and I want to welcome you to the new weekly Wisdom's Cry podcast. So if you got used to listening every day, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I really would like to put the podcast out daily, but I'm currently writing a new book, editing a book doing an audiobook version of the book that I'm editing and doing two podcasts that that's a lot and um I felt that this show could survive as a weekly and might actually do better so for for at least a while the show will be a weekly show if I can get to the point where I can afford to hire somebody to help me especially do post-processing and get the episodes out and because that uh, that actually takes almost as much time for me as doing the recording itself then I, I, I will contemplate going back to daily but uh, it's everything's taking up a crazy amount of time right now and I only have so much and there's some health things going on in my family, and I hope that you understand. So today's topic, (laughs) that's kind of a heavy way to start the episode, isn't it? Okay, so today's topic, if you already saw the title for this episode, which I was told by my husband the other day that the thing that I'm worst at is titling the episodes, today we're going to be talking about watering the tree of life. So what does that mean? Well, I actually want to approach this from two different angles. In one of my favorite passages, I believe it's at the end of The Secret of Mary. It may be at the end of For Love of Eternal Wisdom. Saint Louis, Saint Louis de Montfort has this wonderful imagery where he talks about the gospel and says that when we come to faith a seed from the tree of life is planted within us and throughout our life, our actions water that seed and help it to grow. And as it grows, it will begin to bear fruit and we will then be able to have access to the fruit of the tree of life. And it's a beautiful analogy, and it's one that has meant a lot to me over the years. And it's one that you see come up quite often in Christian circles. Um, St. Bonaventure has a wonderful book called The Tree of Life, in which he goes through the life of Jesus, and for each aspect of his life, compares it to a virtue or a blessing that we should work to manifest in our own lives. It's, it's a beautiful text and there's a short version of it and a long version of it. Um, I have not been able to find a good short version 
translated into English. I've been working actually for years on doing a translation of the short form into English, but it's in Latin. And while I can kind of read Latin, I, I don't feel very comfortable in it. So maybe at some point I will finish, not only finish that translation, but feel comfortable enough in my translation to put it up for free for people to have access to. Cause you know, like I said, it's not, I, I, I don't know of a place to find the short version in English, though the long form is available in several places. But this idea and this image of the tree of life is one that is repeatedly found in scriptures and in a lot of mystical texts. And it's one that has a lot of power and meaning to me. And as I've been talking with people over the last couple of weeks, I think it's something that's really interesting for us to think about and talk about. Now, as you know, through my practice of creation spirituality, a big part of that is um, what we call deep ecumenism, which is where we do not isolate ourselves from the thoughts of other faiths and look to see what they may have to share that we can learn from. Um, St. Augustine refers to this practice in his book on love and says that it's actually the highest form of Christian charity to look even into the blackest of heresy to find what kernels of truth may have been hidden within it. And actually spends quite some time in that book performing this process and showing how it works. So if you don't think that that's something that goes way back in the tradition, even Augustine believed in it. And that should say a lot because I think a lot of CS people like myself and do, don't agree with Augustine on a lot. And I find it interesting that on this of all things is one of the things we do agree with him on. But when I think about watering the tree of life, it makes me think of, there's this concept in Buddhism that I encountered mostly through the writings of Thich Nhat Hanh, where he talks about these seeds, these potentials that exist in our psyche. And that, from time to time, a seed arises. And then, depending on what happens, when it goes back down, it will either be stronger or weaker. And he talks about this in terms of our meditative practice, and that this is one of the reasons mindfulness is so important for our betterment as a person. Because for example, when a seed of anger rises up in us, we, the sooner we can recognize that it is a seed of anger, that it is anger that's rising up in us. And that is not any, an energy we want to augment. We can, through mindful action, restrict and sublimate those feelings so that that anger is not fed and will weaken before it descends back into the lower parts of our consciousness out of our view. And so through repeated practice as compassion and love and justice and beauty and these aspects that we want to have in our lives arise, we learn to embrace them, water them, and thus when they recede from our view, they grow stronger. 
to me, I have always felt that these images of the tree of life and the seeds of consciousness that Thich Nhat Hanh talks about are so interconnected in such a beautiful way. Remember when Jesus was talking about the gospel, he said the gospel is like a seed that is cast upon the ground. And in some, as the seed is trying to, in some, it basically falls on fertile ground, takes root and grows. In others, it falls amongst weeds and the weeds grow up around it and strangle it and prevent it from growing. And when you think about a parable like that, and you think about the practice of being very mindful of the energies that we are allowing to grow, prosper, and be fed within us, I can't help but think of that image of the seeds competing for what can grow, what can see the sunlight. If, you know, many of us have you know, seeds of greed or attachment that tend to rise up within us. But if we are wanting to develop more compassion or giving more altruism, then it's easy to see how the seeds of greed are competing against those seeds of altruism, of charity, of giving, and can compete with each other for sunlight they can compete for each against each other to actually be the one that can rise to the top. And so learning to see what is actually going on in your own mind at any given time so that you can water only the seeds that you wish to grow is a powerful, powerful thing. And it's not easy. And I've actually read several books about this. There's a wonderful book called Triggered, and I can't remember who it's by. Let me actually... Okay, so the book is called Triggers, Creating Behavior That Lasts. And it's by um, Mark Ryder and Marshall Goldsmith. And it's read by Marshall Goldsmith. It's a very good book. Um, it's one that you know I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading. And it actually talks about the same process, but from a psychological point of view, without bringing in the mystical or spiritual aspects of it. And it teaches numerous techniques. And the biggest one is learning to try to have space between an impulse and your action. In taking, learning to be mindful of the space that you're in so that you are not immediately taking action on the feelings that you're having. And that can actually work in multiple ways because when you think about this, you often think about not wanting to act immediately out of anger, greed, jealousy, you know, hate, any of those negative emotions. But there are times when you don't want to act immediately based off of what could be positive emotions either, such as attraction or, you know, interest because those can blind you to other warnings, other red flags that should keep you away from something that could actually be potentially harmful. And so learning very carefully to put space between you experiencing an emotion 
and acting on it so that you are not merely reacting to everything, but actually giving yourself a space so that you can process and take thoughtful, mindful action is important for our psychological well-being, as well as often our physical, mental, and of course, spiritual well-being. And I don't know that there's any one particular way that works for anyone else. You know, that, yeah, I don't think that, as I've often said on this podcast, anybody who is trying to peddle a one-stop shop that fixes everything is probably just trying to take your money. And, you know, that's definitely not something that I'm trying to do. That's one thing to be very mindful of when somebody's giving you any kind of advice is to, this is one of those places where it's very, very helpful to be able to have that moment where you can stop and take rational, thoughtful, mindful action. Cause I, I could tell you, even though I know many of the things are a scam you know, as a writer, I see these things like take my course and I will teach you how to guarantee you to have a New York Times bestselling book. And I see that and I go, wow, you want three grand for me? Yeah, that would be wonderful if your technique worked. But since you're taking 150 students at a time and you're doing this course every six months, well, even if what you're saying worked that's a hundred that's now 150 people fighting for that first place spot and your the new york times bestseller list would be nothing but your clients with a few rare exceptions and that's not the case where you would be touting that because this is like the sixth time you've done this seminar so it, it's probably bunk but even though I know in my mind it's bunk, there's that thing of, oh, it would be so wonderful to be able to get a lot of people to read my stuff. And there's that desire, that desire that creeps in that makes you want to take action, even though you know it's wrong. And, you know, the other benefit that I have being a uh, poor art <laughs> creative type is, you know, I, I don't have three grand to just throw at somebody. So, you know, there, there's that side of it too that, you know, I just can't afford to pay, which helps being more rational on those things. Cause you know, then you realize, well, it's probably a scam anyway, or it may be somebody who is very well-intentioned, but over hyping the actual thing that they're selling. So this is something that we're, we really need to be talking about for both positive things and negative. We'll continue this more after the break. And we're back. So yeah, the, when we talk about anything of this nature, this is something that is very important to learn that our good instincts can be as harmful to us as our bad instincts. In, um, there, I, I don't like, uh, I really don't want to be generalizing here. So I will say, many rabbis that I have read have pointed to this idea that within each of us, we have two sides. We have 
our Yetzer HaTov, which is our inclination towards goodness, and our Yetzer HaRa, which is our inclination towards evil. And what many people make the mistake of doing is seeing the Yetzer HaTov, our inclination towards good, well, if it's good, we should lean into that inclination towards good. And that way we won't be bad. But in all honesty, these two inclinations that we have, our Yetzer Hara, our, in, our inclination towards evil, and our Yetzer Chatov, our inclination towards good, either in extreme can be really harmful. And there are times when it's important for us to lean into our Yetzer Hara, and it will actually bring about good things. So one of the easiest ways to think about this, and I learned a lot of this from uh, Rabbi Rami Shapiro. You should definitely read his books. Really, really enjoy his thought process a lot. Is our inclination towards good, our Yetzer HaTov, is our inclination towards unity and, you know, connectivity and oneness. And you hear me talk about that a lot because that is a chief value that I have. And I think it's something that's very important for us to lean into. Ariyatzer Hatov, on the other hand, is our inclination towards separateness and selfishness and things of that nature. But there are times when, for example, people are asking too much from you and you see that it's actually going to be harmful for you to try to make everybody happy, to lean in to that Yetzer Hara side, into that that inclination that you have for separation, and say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do all of your work for you. I, I need time for myself. I need some space for myself. Or I just need time to be able to sleep. Because the Yetzer Hatov, our inclination for goodness is often co-opted by people of ill intent. And you see this in nationalistic movements. You see this in um, cults all the time where they really push for this idea of you must be one of us. You must be part of the team. You must be on our side and you can't do anything that would be against us. Right. And so if we lean too heavily on our inclination for good, it can blind us to problems within a system and it can blind us to problems that are actually affecting us negatively or affecting others negatively and cause us to do harm, even though we have convinced ourselves that we're doing good because that inclination for unity can be manipulated to mask and justify various other actions that would normally be seen as evil, cruel, malicious, vindictive, or harsh. Because, well, how can they be those things if here we are doing something that's good? Where can't we all agree that our basic instinct is good? Therefore, nothing we do. No, 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 no. That's not how that works. And so this is important, an important thing to think about as we're talking about watering the garden. 
watering these seeds that come out. Yes, fear is something that can control us, and fear is something that we can become overly reliant on and cause us to make really, really bad decisions. So normally when we would experience fear rising up in us, it's then very helpful to sublimate that fear and turn it in a different way and not water it so that we don't grow fearful so that we don't become a very, a fearful person. Now, there are some kinds of fear that are helpful and that we don't want to dull. There are certain times, especially in, unfortunately in our world, if you are a woman, if you are gay, if you are trans, if you are different in any way, and unfortunately because of the state of the world, that extends to people who are deaf. Um, I've heard stories from people that are deaf that will curl your hair that people will try to take advantage of and or hurt you because you are perceived as other than them. And so there are certain fear instincts there that unfortunately need to be honed and sharpened so that you can realize if you're entering a place that is potentially dangerous or hostile for you. So in everything... You'll notice this trend when we talk. These binaries are not binaries at all. There is a spectrum between our inclination toward good and our inclination towards evil. Just as there is a spectrum for each of these emotions as to how much they are actually helpful to us in our regular day-to-day lives. You know, we're not being chased by saber-toothed cats anymore or hunted by eagles that could actually eat and kill us. These are instincts from our long past that are not helpful for us anymore. But at the same time, there are some dangers that we need to keep a healthy fear of to keep us safe and to notice when they're happening. There are certain words, for example, that I'm not going to repeat on this podcast, that depending on your ethnicity, depending on your gender, depending on your sexual orientation or gender identity, you need to be hyper vigilant when you hear certain terms, certain words, certain phrases to understand if they are a joke, maybe even a joke in poor taste or an implicit threat that could bring you harm. Now, don't think that I'm only encouraging fear here, That that's not what I'm saying. I'm just trying to use an example to show you that even with not to be black and white in any of your perceptions and to allow your practice of mindfulness to actually interrogate each and every one of these feelings and each and every one of these emotions. For example, I live in a part of the country that often gets tornadoes. I have an implicit fear of storms, certain kinds of storms, but the storms that are most likely to produce tornadoes. Now, that is a healthy fear in that as long as I keep it honed to the point where when severe weather is coming, it makes me more vigilant in paying attention. So I know if I need to take shelter, for example, or not. But, and 
from time to time in my life, it has been acute enough that, you know, storms were paralyzing. And I can't allow myself to get to a place where the fear is paralyzing, because then it's actually no use at all. Because if the siren does go off and I do need to take shelter, well, being paralyzed, I might not actually move fast enough to be safe in that situation. This is what we mean for real when we say things are relative. Whether something is good or bad really depends on the situation and it depends on its amplitude. You know, when you're in a strange place, it's all right to be a little concerned about strangers around you because you don't know what kind of a neighborhood you're in. You don't have, you may not have enough information to know whether or not you are safe or not in given, in, in the given situation. But if you allow that fear to make you agoraphobic or xenophobic so that you never leave the house or you never ever interact with people outside of your own comfort zones, you're actually doing more harm to yourself than good. And these are the things that we have to be watching out for, whether they be in our inclination towards evil or our inclination towards good or whatever emotion they are. Love is a many splendid thing. And especially recently, you've heard me extol the virtues of love repeatedly on this podcast. But blind love is dangerous when you have a devotion that cannot be questioned ever. Then you are setting yourself up for, you know, codependency at best. And that's still not a good thing. And at worst, manipulation and abuse. Neither of those things are something that you want to actually experience. So whether you're learning how to react to either a good thing or a bad thing, this is why mindfulness is the key to being able to act and react. Well, I, as I would prefer to say, to learn to act without reacting in any given situation. Because once you find yourself in a state of heightened emotion, learning to see it for what it is, to interrogate it, and to do what is necessary. You know, once I was out with some friends of mine and somebody pulled a gun on us, that fear and desire to run were justified. And we did. <laughs> and we got away. We were shot at a couple times, but we got away. You know, that's a place where that's okay. <laughs> that's perfectly all right to do that. It's all situational, though. And you should, you need to be careful not to allow yourself to overact, over, overreact, or react at all. The ultimate goal in all mindful living is to learn to take mindful, conscious action as much as you possibly can without giving in to simple reaction. And when you do that, you learn to water the garden within you so that the tree of life can continue to grow and not be crowded out by the weeds that want to shadow it and destroy it. I hope you found that helpful.
It's something I've been thinking about a lot and I've been talking about with some people a lot lately. If you did enjoy and the podcast app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast, please do so. That helps out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share the podcast with more people. If you got a buck, you can throw my way in the show notes. You'll see a link that says support on anchor. If you click that, you can support at the one, five or $10 a month levels. That money does help out a lot. Help me buy this new microphone, which I'm talking to you on. It helped me to get a copy of vellum and worldographer for many of the projects that I'm working on. It helps me to spend time doing these podcasts and hopefully will eventually help me to be able to hire somebody to help with some of the post-processing and some of the other things that I do so that I have more time to actually make content. So thank you to anybody who can do that. If you don't have the money to give or you don't feel like doing it at this time, that's perfectly all right. I do not do this podcast for money. That's not why I'm doing this at all. I like talking about spiritual things and I don't think that there are enough people talking about them from the point of view and tradition that I come from. So that's why I do this. So if you don't have the money or you don't feel like giving, I do ask that you please include me in your prayers. Your prayer has power. It really does help out a lot. If you don't believe or understand me a couple episodes back, I did an episode called the prophet on prayer. Talked all about it. Definitely check that out. You'll understand. Also, if you know anybody that you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it with them. That helps out a lot too. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm wisdom cries out on Twitter. That's probably the easiest place to find me. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, if you want to find a link to all my social media, as well as some of the resources that I've put together for you all, you can go to wisdomscry.com. Again, thank you all for everything that you've done for me. I really love doing this show. I hope the new weekly format fits into your schedule better. And until next time, May God bless you and keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen.